We're continuing our game of two truths and a lie. Hit it. It was 2021, but it was all about the 80s. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, joining me is a Totally Rad Christmas all-star and one brand new, very special guest. From the radical Christmas clatter, it's Todd Killian. And from the legendary father of all Christmas podcasts, the Christmas Past podcast, it's Brian Earl. All right. Welcome back. So we are doing part three of Two Truths and a Lie, Decade, the 80s. Uh, you can catch part one on Christmas Past Podcast with Brian Earl, and part two over at Christmas Clatter with Todd Killian, where you'll see that while I'm winning, it is very, very, very narrow, and chances are I probably will lose, but it's okay. It's okay. We're not going to be bitter about that. Instead, we're going to continue, and I'm going to see if I can be a better liar than these two lovely gentlemen in front of me. So. Guys, are you ready? Yes. Yes. All right. So before we begin, let me recap. I am at 15 and a half points. We have Brian Earl at four and a half points and Todd <laughs> Killian at 13 and a half points. Don't ask about the half. You'll have to go listen. It's actually quite an interesting story. <laughs> All right. So question number one, according to the strong National Museum of Play, Ninja Turtles were the best selling Christmas toy of 87. The NES was the best-selling toy of 88, or the Game Boy was the best-selling toy of 89. Okay, well, I'm guessing, and so again, we're just to establish the rules here that it's, the whole thing is either true or the whole thing is false, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I did not follow Todd's, uh, <laughs> Todd's <laughs> logic here. So... So it could be that the Game Boy was the best-selling toy of some year, but that the thing that's potentially false is just the year. Very possible, yes. That's possible, okay. Mm-hmm. I I lost so bad last time I had to try to <laughs> make up for it somehow. <laughs> Jerry D, back with a vengeance. Round three. <laughs> I am going to take a, for my extensive Wikipedia research, I'm going to take... I'm leaning towards the false being Ninja Turtles 87. I'm thinking yeah, 80, were... I'm thinking 87 was NES. Well, hang on. How would that work? Because if you say NES was 88, and I'm thinking NES was 87, that would make all right. I'm just gonna go with Ninja Turtles 87 is a lie. I'm Thinking Ninja Turtles 2, but for a different reason. Like, I just don't remember, like, a lot of super popular Ninja Turtle toys. Like, I'm sure there were figures, but I don't remember those, like, being huge. So I could be totally wrong. I probably am. But I'm just going to go with Ninja Turtles for that reason. 
And you are both correct. Jenga was actually the most popular uh, Christmas toy of 1987. Wow. Yeah. Jenga. According yeah, to the Strong National Museum of Play. That's where I got that information. I was right, but not for the reason I thought it was. I'll take it anyway. <laughs> All right. So let me mark down these points here really quickly. All right. Question two. In the 1988 Richard Donner film, Scrooged, A, all of Bill Murray's brothers were in the movie in pivotal roles or as party guests. B, when Carol Kane grabbed Bill Murray's lip, she tore it so badly that filming was halted. Or C, Bill Murray's fall on the way out of the restaurant was a genuine accident. I know the thing about Carol Kane. I don't know about the lip grabbing, but I know she hurt him making the movie. So there you go, Todd. I'm giving you a freebie. Yeah. For now, but you probably knew that too. Not really. I'm not a big fan of this movie. It's not my, I think I've only seen it <laughs> once. Uh, I've seen it several times through other people talking about it, but that's, mm-hmm. that's been it. <laughs> um, so Bill Murray, I didn't even know Bill Murray had brothers. I knew he had a brother. I didn't know he had more than one. But maybe that's why that's the false one. And so then the last one was, uh, oh, he, he actually fell down mm-hmm. and they kept it in the movie. Um, hmm, that does happen. Yeah. But did it happen here? The thing uh, is, I don't remember the scene, so I, I can't. I'm just, I would just be guessing. But I if he only has one brother, the statement, all of his brothers would totally be true, wouldn't it? If it's just the one. I'm going to lean towards the fall just because. I think it's the fake one. Yeah, as, as the lie, because you know, if he's got more than one brother, I could see him having them all in there as a, you know, yeah. half gag, half favor. All right, let's. I'll I'll go with that too. We'll go with the fall. Locking in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. No, it is actually the all of his brothers. He has five brothers, and only Dang. three of them appeared in the movie. So uh, one of them played his dad. That's a Brian Doyle Murray. Then the other one played his actual brother in the the movie. And then the other one was the party guest uh, Uh for his brother. So So you Uh get a point for fooling us both. I do. Yay. Maybe I'll actually (laughs) win. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So yes, every time I stump you guys, I get a point. Otherwise, if you guess correctly, you get a point. Just to recap uh, the rules there. Well, let's move on. In the 1987 Emmy Award-winning Acclamation Christmas Celebration, A, the California Raisins were a last-minute addition to the special, B, three songs were scrapped to make room for dialogue, or C, the street corner singers had to match the Temptations singing exactly. Hmm. I don't think anything could be added. Like, Claymation, you don't just throw that in at the last minute, right? That stuff's like years or months or whatever to... So I I can't imagine it's that. And I also can't imagine like songs would be scrapped. I don't know. Cause like, you know, that, that's obviously, if that's true, that is a very poor planning. Right. Cause that's, <laughs> you know, again, that takes time and that costs money to like to have music. And I would imagine music would be pivotal in a, in a, um, a Christmas special like that. So that would leave by process of elimination, the thing about the temp- matching the temptation singing. But that sounds plausible too. I remember watching that and liking it, but I also remember w- waiting for the whole thing for the raisins to show up. 
was a little disappointed that there wasn't more California raisins in it. <laughs> While you're go. thinking, I'll tell you a quick anecdote that in my seventh grade talent show, um, some kids like actually lip synced to the um, "Heard It Through the Grapevine" dressed as California raisins. And the way that they dressed as California raisins was they all basically just wore like black uh, trash bags, you know, they were like wrinkled to like kind of look like a raisin. Yeah. Yep. They didn't win the talent show. (laughs) In seventh grade. No, probably not. There was some kid who, um, he had a cardboard guitar and he lip synced to, uh, we're not going to take it by twisted sister. No, no, sorry. Come on, feel the noise by quiet, right? Oh, quiet, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Both both good choices. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Twisted Sister, highly underrated Christmas album. Really? Yes. Hmm. Don't think I know it. It's very good. Their version of Deck the Halls is probably one of my favorites. And that's legit. It's oh, really I'll good. I'll have to check it out. Well, they kind of went um, like untwisted a little bit. Like I think it was in the late 80s. Remember that from The Price yeah. or something like that where you know they didn't have the makeup on? Yeah. Kiss kind of went through that too. Yeah. And D. Snyder, that dude's got to be pushing seventy, and like he's still just ripped. Like he, I've, mm-hmm. I saw a picture of him recently. He still performs shirtless, and he's like jacked. It looks like <laughs> he's on steroids or what. I was like, oh, I hope I look like that good when I'm in my late sixties. <laughs> I'm going to go with the lie being California raisins. The last minute ad. Yeah, I, yeah, that sounds right because like you. Just logistically adding something like that at the last minute yeah. just seems like too too much. Because they seem like they were the thing that kind of rebirthed that claymation mm-hmm. craze through the, the mid-80s. So that would be like the catalyst to make a Christmas special for with claymation. Yeah. Final answers? Yes. Actually... It was uh, that is actually true that the California Raisins were a last oh, minute addition. Dang. Uh, the lie is that three, it was actually two songs that were scrapped to make room for dialogue, not three songs. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. You got to <laughs> dial in on no Jerry. All right. We're going <laughs> to have to agree on the rules next time. Yeah, I think you're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> How much of a lie can it be? Yeah. We're going right. to just. Next time we'll do, we'll do all or nothing. All right. They were ditties. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) We going with second grader lie or are we going with psychopath lie? (laughs) (laughs) You know, a little column A, a little column B. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the top of the pops was a decades long music show in the UK and the US featuring live performances and pre-recorded segments in the 1987 Christmas special. A, Sting sang Gabriel's message solo accompanied by a string quartet. B, Nia Peoples got snow dropped on her hair while introducing the bangles. Or C, Naomi Judd admitted that her kids would get her slippers every year for Christmas. Hmm. Mm. I believe Sting, because he actually recorded Gabriel's message. I think that's like one of his favorite Christmas songs. It's a good song. Are you guys watching Only Murders in the Building, by the way? I am, yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's pretty uh, good, yeah. That's on Hulu, right, with Steve yeah. Martin? Yeah. 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 It's, it's just a, so out there, but I just recently started uh, listening to True Crime podcasts, and oh, yeah. it uh, it's like so everybody that listens to True Crime podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you ever heard the spoof um, podcast, like Murder? Um, I forget who put it out. It was, I think, The Onion. It was like a, a, a spoof of true crime podcast. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, 
I don't know if I've heard that, but yeah, it sounds familiar. But then it even has like fake commercials. Yeah. And so it has like the, like a box oh, wow. service where you get a a, a box. The, 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 this fake product called like Box Box, where you get like a box <laughs> service delivered every month. That's hilarious. Yeah, I have to look at it. It's a good bit. Yeah. 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 I love uh, Martin Short. He's like one of my favorites. Yeah. And, uh, on YouTube, you guys need. On YouTube, you guys need to check out the channel that chapter. It's a true crime, and that guy is hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mm. Why are we talking about this? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, of Sting. Oh, yeah. Sting. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. okay. I yeah. am. I'm thinking Naomi Judd because she seems like she doesn't fit in there. Yeah, and but... like dissing your kids on TV, assuming that is a diss. To say that they get her slippers every year. That I'm doesn't think. The Bengals were they were they you know that popular in '87 or were they before and. So uh, I'm going to Jed. I'm going to Jed's a lie. Yeah. Um, hmm. Cause the thing is like saying something like that could be the kind of thing that would play for laughs. And again, just like basing it on absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> and one guess is good. You know what? We're, I'm going to spread the risk here. I'm going to, we're going to hedge. I'm going to say it's B. Final answers. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's actually Sting sang Gabriel's message solo with no accompaniment. <laughs> ah, dang, <laughs> oh, Naomi Judd really did anymore? admit it was her and uh, Winona. She told the story about how every year they would save their money and they would buy her some pink slippers. Uh, and Nia Peoples, while introducing the Bengals, who had just recorded uh, A Hazy Shade of Winter for, um, uh, gosh, what's that name of that? Um, I can't even think of the name at the moment. The, the, no, it was based on a novel. Um, but anyway, they anyway they recorded that. She introduced them, got the snow dropped on her head. So, hmm. Yeah. Wow. All right. So another point for me, and <laughs> I think you're right. I think we are going to have to agree on some rules next time. <laughs> <laughs> really. I feel like I'm cheating now. Uh, so to <laughs> recap, where we are, uh, Brian is at five and a half points. Todd Ooh. is at fourteen and a half points, and I am now at seventeen and a half points. So. Question five, it was popular in the UK to license IPs and release comics and magazines, often weaving in various holidays throughout the series. In the 1987 UK Masters of the Universe number 46 Christmas comic, A, the pixie-like race called the Joybringers sprinkled their joy dust on Eternia. B, Orko created a magic chocolate soldier army. Or C, He-Man and Ram-Man defended Castle Grayskull from a rampaging Metakongmi looking for its lost mate. See, chocolate mm. soldiers. I'm trying to, I'm just comparing it to like the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. Nothing like that happened. There's like a, there's like a unicorn, right? Hmm. 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 Excruciating silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. This out. Uh, yeah it's like i could try to pick apart the details to see which details could be <laughs> false <laughs> the chocolate soldiers i mean orco doing something silly it makes sense but chocolate soldiers and then i never heard about the those pixies before on he-man but it does seem to kind of fit well i'll i'll give you a hint um they're not considered canon like none of this is considered canon to the yeah. universe. So the comics did have a lot of leeway. 
Yeah, but chocolate soldiers, just something about that sounds off to me. Yeah, uh, me too, Brian. It yeah. just doesn't sound like it's, I know it's Christmas, but it doesn't sound like it's a big enough problem for He-Man. Chocolate yeah, soldiers. all right. Chocolate soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> if you're sure, uh, unfortunately, you are incorrect. He actually oh, did create God. a magic chocolate soldier <laughs> army. The false one there was uh, He-Man and Ram-Man defended Castle Grayskull from an alien army of actors. They actually thought it was an invading army, and it turns out they were just actors shooting a scene. The Metakongmi was uh, a beast that the Thundercats faced off in their UK Christmas comic. Oh. Thundercats Christmas. Well, so it's funny because it's not technically Christmas. It's a a wintertide Christmas-esque celebration called uh, Ramastide. The, mm-hmm. where they commemorate the, the the downfall of Mumra in the first stage, something like that. <laughs> as long as it's not life day. <laughs> kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just another life day. <laughs> All right. 1989 brought National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to theaters. That movie had A, Chevy Chase using cue cards around other actors' necks to help him improvise his famous rant. B, Chevy Chase wearing a blue Chicago Cubs ball cap, which he wore throughout the first two vacation movies. Or C, Chevy Chase breaking his pinky while punching out the plastic Santa. Oh, okay. I might actually get this one right because uh, I know. Uh, well, what should I say? I know because I don't want to. But Todd, you probably know this movie pretty well. So yeah. I don't I'm have to worry to, about helping you. I'm trying to remember the Chicago Cubs hat. I do not remember a Chicago Cubs hat. He wears movie. a baseball cap for sure. He Chicago. does. I remember. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's a Chicago Cubs hat. I know he definitely broke his pinky punching the sand. That is 100%. Or he broke a bone. You know, I'm getting in Jerry's head. I was like, no, maybe it was <laughs> yeah. his index finger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. It was his radius and not his yeah. <laughs> clavicle or whatever it is. It was only the first phalanx. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Okay, so he broke something. So I, I think that one's true. Then did he put cue cards around the actor's necks? That kind of sounds, wasn't it? Didn't Marlon Brando do that in The Godfather? It was like he, he needed a lot of cue cards. I mean, the way that scene is shot, I could see that working. I saw like a, like a picture of that somewhere. Like one of the actors was holding his lines. Marlon Brando, I mean. Would Chevy Chase do the same thing? It seems like that scene could be completely improv, though. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I know he wore a baseball hat, but I do not remember it being Cubs. Because the only thing Cubs that I remember standing out is the Blackhawks jersey he wears. And does it? Where does that movie uh, supposedly take place? It's in Chicago. Oh, okay. I remember the, 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 the hat that I remember from a picture, because I was looking at this recently, like dark blue the cubs are they blue and orange uh well they're blue it would be a blue hat with a, a red c red in front uh, of red it. yeah that, i was thinking mm-hmm. orange you know i think that is true this is a totally like mandela effect you know like now they yeah. said it like you know oh okay that's affecting my memory but something about that sounds right to me I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna rest on the the Cubs hat being fake because I sure don't remember it. I remember a baseball hat, but I sure don't remember it being Cubs. Okay, well I think the cue cards is fake. Final answers. Yeah. All right. So Todd actually gets the point here. It was a Chicago Bears cap, not a Chicago Ah, Cubs cap. You really did. 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He, he really did uh, use the cue cards to help him. Uh, so while most of it was improvised, it was um, just quick little notes to help him kind of go from one idea to the next. Huh. Orange and yes, makes he did sense. break his pinky. I, I didn't lie about that. <laughs> orange makes sense now, Brian. Why are you thinking orange? Because that would be Chicago Bears with the mm-hmm. orange C on it. And it'd be a dark, be a a dark blue, almost black. Mm-hmm. So, yep, very good. Let's go. Let's keep moving on here. Uh, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys often teamed up mm-hmm. in the 1988 super mystery "A Crime for Christmas." A. The Hardys are tracking a smuggling ring. B. The whole group takes a horse-drawn carriage ride in Central Park. Or C. They attend a UN gala dinner on December 21st. Oh, interesting. Something about the smuggling ring sounds correct. Um, yeah, I had a lot of, I had like a huge collection of Hardy Boys books. I didn't read them all. Like they were just in my house. But it was amazing, like the kind of stuff that they would get into in those stories. They're like smuggling operations and stuff like that. Sounds pretty plausible. Yeah, I was always a huge Hardy Boys fan. Do you guys see the new, there's a new um, Hulu series. I have it on my queue, but I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it. It's it's not bad. Like it's not. Um, I think they do enough of the old, you know, to kind of like make it nostalgic. But then it's um, right. definitely, you know, the camera work and all that. Like definitely does not make it feel like it's uh, an old kind of show. Gotcha. Cool. I can't wait. And to I forget it. if they changed anything from it. I think the age difference of the boys might be different in the show. Oh, instead of a year. Yeah, they look. Yeah, like there's a big difference in age in this one. Hmm. Other than that, they solve mysteries. I had known nothing of the Hardy Boys, <laughs> <laughs> or other than her name, and she solves mysteries. I know nothing of Nancy Drew. <laughs> I only just recently found out that Ghostwriters actually wrote it under the name of Franklin W. Dixon. I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> oh, because they're still coming out. Like there is mm-hmm. Hardy Boy books, you know, from the last couple of years. Well, and I just assumed that. Uh, that you know, people were just writing in their spirit. You know the way people kept writing Bond books after Ian Fleming, but no, those original ones uh, apparently were all just ghostwritten as well. Yeah, I think it was like pretty common back in those days where the publisher yeah uh, would would have a name. You know, like they owned the name and they would hire people to write under it. Yeah, you would see that a lot in like old pulp magazines. They would call them house names. So you know, like some name like blah 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 blah. But then they would just hire any writer to be like, okay, you're writing a story as so and so. I'm just complete stab guess in the dark and the one with the UN that seems a little bit above their pay grade. No, but it does sound, sound kind of like the hijinks they might get into. Oh. Um, Not locking it in yet, Jerry. Don't lock me in yet. <laughs> and, and B, B was what? The, um, there was a smuggling ring, the UN, and then what? Uh, the whole group takes a horse-drawn carriage ride in Central Park. Oh, that that. That's one of those innocuous ones. It's like, eh, you know, sure, I could see that happening. There's no reason that shouldn't be true. Unless mm. it's like one of them, like that's one of their principal character traits is that they hate horses yeah. or something. and would never yeah. get near one. If they were helping the UN, they would be in New York City <laughs> to take a <laughs> carriage ride. Yeah. Mm. What was that first one about smuggling? Uh, that they're tracking a smuggling ring. I mean, that is definitely the kind of thing that would happen. But in this one, I don't know. I'm thinking the smuggling ring might be false because he's using a 
common word to lure us in. Mm-hmm. I think it's true. I'm just going to go with the horse carriage ride. I'm going smuggling. All right. And Todd is once again correct. They were actually oh. tracking cat burglars. Cat burglars. Cat burglars. <laughs> yes. So Todd is closing closing the lead. So we All are right. I'm still in this. I still got a chance. <laughs> got to stick so, to fundamentals. <laughs> unless my unless my scoring is incorrect, uh, I am currently in the lead with 18 and a half. We have Todd coming up next with 16 and a half and uh, uh, Brian pulling up the rear at five and a half. How many questions are there left? Let's see. One, two, three, five. Okay. I still got this. <laughs> All right. Twas the Night by Chris Claremont, Mark Silvestri, and Joe Rubenstein was the title of the story from Marvel Comics Uncanny X-Men number 230. It featured A, the mutant longshot using psychometry to learn about the Reaver's stolen loot. B, the X-Men teleporting the stolen items back to their original owners on Christmas Eve. Or C, the X-Man Rogue gifting the Aboriginal Mutant Gateway a new didgeridoo on Christmas morning. All right. I'm just going to say whatever Todd says, because that was all gobbledygook. (laughs) (laughs) I am completely unsure. You said Deathlock? Uh, I can read them again if you'd like. No, just Deathlock. Uh, I didn't mention Deathlock. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't i did not mention deathlock okay. no who was it uh long shot long shot okay what year did you say this is from uh i didn't say it was just from uh, number 230 okay but i believe it was 1987 okay a complete guess i will say the false one is long shot okay it's, that that's what i'm saying no, it was actually uh, Rogue. She gifted ah. the Aboriginal mutant uh, named Gateway. She gave him a flute on Christmas morning, not a didgeridoo. Well, if he's Aborigine, it automatically becomes a didgeridoo. <laughs> because didgeridoo is a lot funner to say than flute. It is definitely mm-hmm. much more fun. <laughs> That's why I put it in there. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> here's one. Here's a, a much easier one. In the season two episode of the sitcom Full House, entitled Our Very First Christmas Show, A, it was the first time a special Christmas card style border and lettering was used. B, it was the first time Jesse and Becky kiss. Or C, it was the first of four Christmas episodes. Uh, I'm going to ask for an elaboration on the, the Christmas border. What do you- so uh, they tried to make it look like a Christmas card. So it was a, a green border with leaves and it had green lettering. Do you mean the, like the title card for the no, show? No, it was at the end of the episode. It was a special Christmas ending. Oh, ending. Okay. Or was it? <laughs> Did you give a season number? Uh, yes, yeah, season two. Okay. I don't think Becky was on season two. I think that's too early. I think that I think it's too early for Aunt Becky, so I, I'm going to rule her out. I don't remember a ton of Christmas episodes that you would think they would have a Christmas episode every year. Yeah, I'm trying to pick up on Jerry's pattern. Like the the third one kind of has the feel of like, oh no, it was actually there were three Christmas episodes. Yeah. And so that's how he's trying to get it. So mm-hmm. my thinking it there there might be something there. 
the Christmas. Yeah. I'm just trying to. I'm having trouble visualizing what that even means. Like, yeah, I see. I don't remember a lot of Full House Christmas episodes at all. Hmm. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say it's the first of four. Is the lie? That's kind of what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. Locked in. Yes. yes. You both are correct. It was the first of three. Christmas ah, <laughs> you guessed it that's awesome <laughs> oh, too bad we're picking up on your pattern this late in the yeah. game well I, I wasn't this late i mean this is like the first time i'm lying so <laughs> <laughs> before i was just guessing all right so we'll do one more and then i'll do a recap during the christmas season of 1988 2020 ran a segment on nintendo john stossel a interviewed a gentleman who drove a thousand miles to get a Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers 2 game for his kid. B, interviewed a gentleman from Hobby World who said Nintendo does twice as much business as Barbie. Or C, interviewed a video game designer who tells him the computer chips can create characters that aren't just stick figures anymore. Hmm. So two of those are true. Mm -hmm. The one that is just jumping out at me is like the outselling Barbie um i I can imagine it probably would but like that's one of those things you never hear about barbies becoming like huge sellers but then it's like it's just been true for the last several decades that it's the number one selling toy even though it doesn't have the most like media splash you know what i mean so i I don't know yeah do barbies are they still big sellers oh yeah they are now Mm -hmm. Uh, my eight-year-old girl just loves them they got all kinds. Hmm. They always come out with new play sets and, um, you know, clothes and accessories. And now they even have like, uh, I forget what they call them, but the, let's see, um, try to be kind without offending. They have more, what we call realistic body shapes. Barbies mm-hmm. now, so. I'm totally wondering what kind of stuff dash is going to be into. <laughs> Like right now, it's like in his toy box is just like all kinds of, you know, books and whatever. But there's also just um, like used or like finished uh, paper towel rolls. In yeah. his toy box. Yep. He loves those as much as any toy. Like he'll take oh, yeah, those yeah. out and just bang on things with them. Yep. That sounds about mm-hmm. right. Yeah. <laughs> like, in, like in the box more than the toy is mm-hmm. a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so I, I don't know. So it was the Barbie, the, the guy who drove really far, and the game developer who says that you can, it can make characters that aren't like stick figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But well, I, that one that might not be true because, like, but you know, like Atari and ColecoVision had fairly good graphics, which came before Nintendo. Yeah. That's the one I'm leaning towards because it seems like the one with the guy going a thousand miles would be the right story that the news would pick up to put, yeah, yeah, put yeah. on there. Yeah. Okay. I'm going with the game to game design. Me, me too. That's a good guess, but it is incorrect. Uh, so he, it actually, um, Nintendo actually did three times as much business as Barbie that year. So it sold $1.5 billion. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that pretty much just blew my mind when I heard that. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. But no, uh, the game developer actually said that. <laughs> All right. Stating the obvious. <laughs> y- yeah, pretty much. 
Uh, and the, the gentleman did drive a thousand miles to get uh, Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers 2. So a thousand miles, let's just put that into perspective. That would be like from California to what? Like it's like about uh, a third of the way through, right? Well, it's 1,200 miles. I live on the right on the Mississippi River. It's 1,200 <laughs> miles from here to L.A. So. Okay. So about that, mm-hmm. roughly. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah basically yeah i but, love my yeah. kids i wouldn't do that either yeah, basically. even if he came all that way and then the thing wasn't available i would imagine this guy was like just taking this road trip anyway what he yeah. actually said was that he was visiting about seven stores a day for the last like i think three days wow and he still hadn't been able to find it mm-hmm. yeah yeah basically st louis to la roughly wow and he's buying it for his kid for his kid yeah for christmas it's, I mean, it's a really I interesting segment actually it's a it, it's not very long it's i think about 16 minutes long and it's uh they just really go into everything and uh about nintendo and of course is it a danger is it gonna rot their minds and you know that kind of thing but just also the demand and it's yeah. just it's it's really just intriguing but right now we are uh i am ahead with 20 and a half points we have todd at 17 and a half points and Brian at six and a half points. I need these last ones. Yeah. So here we go. Hallmark has produced keepsake ornaments for decades. In 1988, they released a, a donkey in a sombrero with a satchel and a package that reads Feliz Navidad. B, a chocolate Santa Claus holding a wrapped Hershey's kiss. Or C, a Betsy Clark glass ball that reads, I'll be home for Christmas. I don't know who Betsy Clark is, so I can't say whether that would be true or not. Who's Betsy Clark? That sounded right when he said it. (laughs) (laughs) The donkey and the sombrero sounds uh, not exactly okay. And so the middle one was what? The um the middle one was a chocolate Santa oh, holding chocolate Santa. a wrapped Hershey's kiss. Mm. That one doesn't sound right to me. Chocolate Santa? Yeah. How do you know it's chocolate? It's like looks like chocolate or it looks like one of those foil wrapped chocolate Santas. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know chocolate Santas always come in like wrapped in foil. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it was a, a Santa Claus figurine that was brown to resemble chocolate. Okay, got it. So let's say that. The, yeah, I'm going chocolate Santa's the lie. Yeah, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm going chocolate Santa. No, the chocolate Santa is actually correct. The <laughs> lie was the the Betsy Clark glass ball. It actually read, "A homemade touch can do so much to make each Christmas special." <laughs> but who is that person? So she is a Texan uh, that created uh, these little characters. They're cutesy little doll kind of characters that um, were used on Hallmark cards, porcelain figurines. It's kind of like a more country version of um, Precious Moments. That's the one I'm thinking. Uh, It's like a a little more, uh, not quite as refined Precious Moments. All right. So I get a point there. And last question, guys. I need this one. Let's bring it home. I need it. All right. Last point wins. (laughs) (laughs) we can do a winner take all i don't mind all right since the 1930s sears produced a holiday wish book Mm -hmm. the 1988 sears wish book a 
advertised itself as five catalogs in one. B, offered $20 off merchandise total of $100 or more. Or C, contained over 200 pages of 80s toys, sports equipment, and video games. That's got to be true, the last one. So 20 bucks off $100 or more, that's, that's a pretty generous discount. Although, I don't know. I was going through some of those, like the old wish books recently, and prices, I don't know if it was like just 80s inflation, but some of the prices for certain things like seem kind of like today prices. You know, you, you sort of expect you look at a catalog from the 80s and you're like, oh, a video game for like 25 cents or something. Yeah. But to give a tw- get 20 bucks off 100 or more seems a little unlikely. And then the other one was it said that it was five catalogs in one. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Said eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. For some reason, and I have nothing to base this on. The five catalogs in one just doesn't seem right to me. You know, the twenty dollars off a hundred—that's twenty percent. That's it's a nice discount, but in '88 with NES and things like that being popular, that would be pretty easy for people to, you know, spend that amount. I'm going with five catalogs in one. Yeah, something I, I'm sticking with my twenty percent off, a hundred dollars or more. Locked in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And the point goes to Brian. It Whoa. was $10 off of 100 <laughs> and $20 off of 200 or more. So oh. 10 off of 100, 20 off 200. 10%. So 10%. Wow. Yeah. Off your first 100. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. On Wishbook Web to find that. Yeah. I love that site. <laughs> I want to have that guy on my podcast. I actually reached out to him a couple of times. Like we, we sort of traded messages and then they didn't go very far. And I also should say, I'm going to give a shout out to a podcast, uh, the Everything 80s podcast. Um, this guy in Canada, I think he's like some kind of fitness coach in his full-time job, but he has a really good podcast. Whenever anyone's like, oh, like just recommend me some random podcast, I always say the Everything 80s uh, and actually got some of my questions from round one uh, from that guy's podcast. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to have him as a guest. Yeah, that'd be a cool episode. Well, you should have him as a guest, Jerry. Well, I'm trying. I got a few. Uh, I got a few folks um, that are all retro '80s uh, lined up. Cool. So hopefully it'll be it'll be good times. <laughs> oh man! So do we want to recap the final scores, or do we just want to say I won? Re- recap. <laughs> all recap right. Take, all right. Take take your victory. What? All right. I. You know what? After losing so badly last time, I I, I will revel yep. in this just a little bit longer. And Brian, I, I understand because that's mm. where I was last time. Uh, Agony of defeat. <laughs> yeah, yes. Just right where you were is exactly where I was. And I still owe you a promo, by the way. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get you one. Uh, so coming in third, we have Brian with uh, seven and a half points. Todd is second with 17 and a half points. And I managed to outlast at 21 and a half points. And that concludes part three and our whole shebang of two truths and a lie. I hope you all enjoyed it. And I do want to ask you guys before we go, you know, GI Joe, they taught us that knowing is half the battle. What would you say is the other half? Hmm. 
So the full phrase was, now you know, and knowing is half the mm-hmm. battle. Right. I would say that the other half is knowing that the people you're on a podcast with are diabolical, <laughs> <laughs> psychotic, habitual liars. As long as you, as long as you know that up front, you know not, you know how to proceed. Well, I would imagine if knowing is half the battle, then the fighting would be the other half of the battle. It's <laughs> also very good. Yeah, the actual battling. The part. actual battle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, those are both better than mine. Uh, mine is if knowing is half the battle, the other half is lying through your teeth. <laughs> Uh, guys, this has been so much fun. Um, but yeah. you, what do you want to plug? Like, tell me about your guys' shows. Todd, you take it first. All right. Uh, I host Christmas Clatter. It's a podcast and YouTube channel where we celebrate everything that makes Christmas special, from movies to music to the lights, decorations, family, friends, food, and even those quiet moments of reflection. Check us out wherever you find podcasts or youtube.com slash Christmas Clatter or just simply christmasclatter.com. Yeah, and Christmas past since 2016 has been telling you the fascinating stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions with episodes coming out every couple of days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. However, in recent years, we're getting into the Christmas spirit a little early with Burr Months bonus episodes. The Burr Months, of course, are those four months ending in the letters B-E-R. So since September 1st, we've been putting out weekly episodes. And after Thanksgiving, We're back to telling the stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions. So Christmas past, wherever you find your podcasts, as they say, um, you can find it on YouTube too, but I'm not as active a YouTuber as Todd is. (laughs) And I have no YouTube account, so I'm definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, guys, this was a, a lot of fun and I hope we can do another, maybe another round or maybe another game, something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Well, thank you both. And thank you all for listening. Yes. Yes. And uh, can I end it by saying Christmas past is amazing. Christmas clatter is fantastic. Totally rad. Christmas is terrible. Wait a sec. Are we still playing? No. Okay. Well, check us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're feeling like myself, winning at two truths and a lie, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Later dudes. What's up dudes. It's Jerry D from totally rad Christmas podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about the Christmas Past Podcast. It's the fascinating backstories to the Christmas traditions you cherish. Christmas Past brings you year-round Christmas history, forgotten Christmas fiction, roundtables, interviews, and most of all, Christmas cheer. And it's all from the uniquely warm and nostalgic world of the legendary Brian Earle, who started all of us Christmas podcasters on this wonderful, wonderful venture. It's where the holiday season never ends. So if you haven't gone to check out Christmas Past Podcasts, you need to. It's totally radical. Later, dudes. Hello, this is Todd Killiam from the Christmas Clatter Podcast. What makes Christmas special to you? Is it the movies or the music, the food or family, the gifts or decorations? Maybe those quiet moments of reflection. Whatever it is, join me for Christmas Clatter, a monthly podcast dedicated to everything that makes Christmas special. Visit christmasclatter.com for all social media links and find Christmas Clatter Podcast on all podcast apps. Thank you, and remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day.